guys, this is Jason Lamb with Dare to Share Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Gospelize with Greg Steer, Youth Ministry with a Kick. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review it, repost it, help us get the word about this amazing new youth ministry resource. Uh, as you're listening to the content today, we want to hear from you. And so anytime you can email us podcast at daretoshare.org, we'll follow up with you and may even reference your comments or questions in upcoming podcast episodes. Today, Greg's going to bring a sermon to us from 2 Timothy 1, and immediately following that, my friend Carrie Evans and I are going to do a segment called Takeaways, Tips, and Tools as we unpack that content and make it more applicable to your youth ministry setting. With that, here's Greg Steer. Welcome to the Gospelized Podcast. Uh, my name is Greg Steer. I'm going to talk to you today about how to keep your heart burning hot for the gospel. And to be honest with you, I, I kind of feel like an unlikely candidate to be sharing with you today. See, I don't come from a typical religious, church-going, pew-sitting, hymn-singing family. I come from a family filled with bodybuilding, tobacco chewing, beer drinking thugs. And that's just the women. Sadly, it's true. Uh, three of my uncles were title-winning bodybuilders. The fourth one could bench press 500 pounds. The fifth one was a Golden Gloves boxer. Uh, and they were all afraid of my mom, who was kind of a brawler. But the toughest one of my family members was my Uncle Jack. Now, my Uncle Jack was jacked. Here's a picture of him. He only weighs 185 pounds in this picture. And 85 pounds are in that bicep. And I love the way he's looking at it, saying, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. He looks like a, a beefed-up version of the Wolverine. Uh, and he was super intense and one time went to prison for choking two cops unconscious who were trying to arrest him on assault charges. Uh, and I remember as a kid growing up in this family, I did not feel like I fit in because all my uncles were tough guys. They would fight all the time. And I remember Sunday we'd be sitting around a dinner table eating and they'd see a rival gang in the alley. They'd all get up without a word, just go out and just pound on these guys, come back in and say, pass the potatoes like it was nothing. And I'm like, what just happened? How did I get into this freak family, right? And they all thought I was kind of weird because I read books. They, they cracked skulls. I cracked books. I actually read. I remember one time at a family reunion, my Uncle Jack, he talked like this. He goes, what's wrong with that kid? He reads books. I'm like, I can hear you. I'm literally five feet away. So I was super self-conscious, just realizing I wasn't a tough guy. I wasn't a tough kid. I didn't have that DNA, that fighter's ember in my soul, or so I thought. I remember going to a Christian school. My family got radically saved. I went to a Christian school. And in this small Christian school, in gym class, they would make you do a different sport every month. Sometimes you do football, softball, basketball, whatever, track. And then there was the month that everybody dreaded. It was boxing. They would literally make you box for a month. There's no way to say, I love my neighbor. <laughs> like strapping on the boxing gloves and fighting, right? And I remember uh, being assigned on Monday who is going to fight on Friday. And as all the 9th through 12th grade guys, I found out I was going to have to box Steve Salazar. Now, nobody wanted to box Steve Salazar because Steve Salazar, legend had it. He was trained by a Golden Gloves boxer, right? Uh, he was 20 pounds heavier than me. Uh, he was a strong kid. And Steve Salazar did not like me because I used to call him Salad Bar instead of Salazar, and it made him mad, right? And so he was out for me anyway, and when we found out on Monday, our eyes caught, and I'm like, oh no, I'm in trouble. So I did what any teenager in the 80s would do at that time. I went home, and I rented 
the movie Rocky, and I watched it every single night, and I shadow box and I listened to Mick as he was yelling in Rocky's ear and I would do the same thing and I thought if I kept practicing Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, by the time Friday comes, I'll be ready to box. So Friday comes. All the 9th to 12th grade guys are lined up. Ready? We're ready to box. It's, a, it's about to go. We strap on the regulation size gloves. They weren't oversized. Regulation size gloves and headgear. Thank the Lord we had headgear. Uh, and we're standing there, and I'm and, and I'm just thinking, okay, just remember the Rocky movie, just you know, jab and weave. Just remember, just remember Rocky, you know. And he's just sitting there like this, kind of with a smile on his face. And have you ever had one of those moments in your life? You're like, oh no, oh no, I'm about to get killed. I'm depending on a movie to help me through this fight. This guy knows how to box. And then something happened down deep inside. I remember that moment. Something snapped. There was a fighter's ember that was fanned into flame. Because in that moment, in that moment, I began to think to myself, you know what? He can't box without a head. And if I just take off his head, he won't be able to hit me. So that's all I got to do. And something in my family genes came alive. And the bell rang, and I ran out, and I, boom, hit him so hard, his headgear turned around, and I did what any Christian teen would do. I hit him again because he couldn't see me, and he fell to the ground, and it was like a matrix jump over him. And I landed on him, and I began to pummel his head into the cement of the concrete gym uh, floor as we just hit, hit, hit. They pulled me off. I think I was drooling at the time, right? And then after that, I just chased him around the ring. Come on, salad bar. I'm hungry. Come on, salad bar. And he just ran. Nobody wanted to box me after that because I discovered down deep inside, I had this fighter's gene. I didn't know it was there, but I was able to find it and fan it and fuel it. And today, I'm not going to be talking to you about fighting, right? I want to be talking to you about the gospel, that burning gospel ember. I think so many times in youth ministry, uh, we get in and we're excited and we think we're going to change the world. And then we go to our first staff meeting. And then there's that time we forget our receipts. And then all of a sudden, the politics of policies, the machinery of ministry grinds us down and we lose our gospel edge. And it goes from this blazing fire to this burnout coal. I want to talk to you today about how to keep your heart burning hot for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we're going to go back to the words of the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, his protege. And Paul is encouraging Timothy with three truths that I'm going to share with you today. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Man, Paul's writing this to Timothy. The Holy Spirit is writing it to us. Youth leader, this is to you 
from God himself. Paul's telling Timothy, I want you to find fan and fuel that burning gospel ember. And, and, and I believe, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is telling us the same thing. What do we do? Number one, we find it. We find that gospel ember. 2 Timothy 1.5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. He's reminding Timothy of his story. And I want to encourage you, never get over your story. Never get over your story. Now, Paul, the apostle, had a radical story of transformation. We hear testimonies that are radical. You know, I was a, I was a drug dealer. I was a murderer. And I, God radically transformed me. And we hear those testimonies in church and praise God and shed tears. And we should. The apostle Paul had one of those kinds of testimonies that were powerful. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a leader of the Jewish community. He was a Pharisee. Some people think he was part of the Sanhedrin. And he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when God shows up. Jesus shows up, knocks him down with his presence. He's literally blinded by the light. And he's converted in that moment, and he's called to be an apostle in that moment. And he goes to Damascus, but he goes now He goes now to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life is forever transformed by the power of the gospel. What a powerful testimony. Now, Timothy's story seems more typical. I mean, his, I mean it's pretty clear his grandmother Lois, believer, uh, mother Eunice, a believer. So, I mean, I can imagine young Timothy going to early church, you know, Sunday school, uh, Awana, coming to Christ or whatever, putting his faith in Christ as a young man, radically transformed by the gospel, but in a very typical way. But I want to I share this with you. I don't know what your testimony is. Some of you listening to this have a radical testimony of God's grace. Some of you have a radical testimony of God's grace, because all of you have a radical testimony of God's grace. Those of you who had this intense background and those of you who trusted Christ uh, in Sunday school, it's a radical testimony of God's grace. I, I, I read this on a, a tweet. I don't know whose Twitter feed it was. It was a long time ago, but it's this. On the day we got saved, God turned a criminal proceeding into an adoption ceremony. On the day we got saved, God turned a criminal proceeding into an adoption ceremony. No matter what your background. Little kid, 25-year-old drug dealer, radically transformed, we were enemies of God, objects of wrath, according to Ephesians 2, but God, who is rich in mercy, but he saved us. And that's true not just of you and I. That's true of our teenagers. Sometimes our teenagers will feel self-conscious because their story is not that powerful. Every story of salvation is powerful. Help kids to own that story. And I want to encourage you to go back to that moment of your salvation and just find it. Find that burning gospel ember. Man, thank God for that moment of transformation. And by the way, if you happen to be watching this podcast and you don't know, like, man, I don't know if I have a moment of transformation. Maybe you're even working with youth and you're like, I've been raised in church, but I don't know for sure my sins are forgiven. I don't know for sure God is my heavenly father. I don't know for sure I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Let me just take just a quick moment and... and Remind you, God, he created us to be with him. He loves us, but our sins, they separate us from God. We all sin, and those sins can never be removed by good deeds. But 
God, right? Paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. God sent his son. Jesus paid the price. He died for our sin. He rose again. And now everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And that life with Jesus, it starts now and lasts forever. If you put your faith in Jesus, based on what he did for you on the cross, you are saved. You're forgiven. You're born again into the family of God. And right now, watching this podcast is your radical moment of transformation. Why, find it. Find that gospel ember. And secondly, fan it. 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul tells Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul laid his hands on Timothy to impart the Holy Spirit, a spiritual gift and a divine mission, the Great Commission, the ultimate cause, the last and lasting mandate of Jesus. And that mission now is given to us. We have that mission. We have that, that same divine commission to go and preach the gospel, to go and make disciples. And I want to ask you this question. Um, have you realized, fully realized that mission in your youth ministry? That cause that Jesus has given to you uh, and to your teens. By the way, that's why we've called this podcast Gospelize. It's the old English word for evangelize. I heard it on a Spurgeon uh, sermon. I, I am a nerd. I when to work out. Oftentimes I, I will listen to somebody reading Charles Spurgeon uh, sermons uh, on a podcast, and I just love his stuff. But he used the word gospelize one time, and it got my attention. And that's exactly what we're called to do. That's what Paul called Timothy to do. That's what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do, uh, to gospelize. And that is to reach our students with the gospel and help them reach their peers with the gospel until everyone is reached with the gospel. And this is true uh, in the, the farm towns. This is true in the suburbs. This is true in the inner city. I have a friend named Gerard. Uh, he lives in Memphis. And Gerard is a youth leader at a church. And he, he uh, is really committed to seeing Memphis transformed with the power of the gospel. And I remember a couple years back, I was preaching at a, speaking at a youth specialties. He came and he listened to my Gospelize uh, seminar, and I talked about the seven values of a gospel-advancing ministry. I talked about, hey, we need to move from being a quarterback to being a coach. We need to move from just telling our kids to bring their friends out to youth group where we can throw the touchdown pass to really being a coach and equipping them to share the gospel. And that really resonated with Gerard because he's a former semi-pro football player, right? And so he put his coach's hat on. He began to really train and equip his students uh, they did. A, they started with prayer. That's the first value of a gospel advancing ministry. And they started with prayer. And that prayer uh, uh, ended up having like 400 teenagers at their See at the Pole event. I mean, hundreds of teenagers at the See at the Pole event. Powerful, powerful, powerful. And then they did. Uh, they also did that same year, Dare to Share Live. And uh, he's uniting the churches of Memphis to take that city back one block at a time by starting this gospel gang because he felt that that burning ember he found that burning ember and he fueled it with that mission that God has given him and I think so many times in our youth ministry it's so easy to get distracted by the fun and games you know I mean we we play games we invite teens we do a quick lesson and we're dismissed but when we begin to realize man our kids are on mission and we begin to equip them uh, for the gospel like Gerard did we can see powerful things take place uh, verse 7 Paul writes to Timothy, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, 
and self-discipline. It does not make us dim, it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit brings holy boldness. So on that day you got saved, the Spirit came to dwell inside of you. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And the Spirit gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power to preach the gospel. Matter of fact, I want you to think about the first time the Holy Spirit showed up. If you look in Acts 2, uh, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit comes 10 days after the uh, ascension of Christ into heaven. Here comes the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit appear? You would think that the Holy Spirit would come like, I don't know, I would choose like an eagle, you know, to some really cool 80s music. Just, I don't know what that's the sound eagles make, but it should be. Or uh, a dove, gentle dove, that'd be cool. But the Holy Spirit comes in a very different form. Holy Spirit comes as a tongue set on fire. Which, if you read that, and we read it so many times, we, it's kind of weird. So you're waiting, and all of a sudden, here comes the Holy Spirit, the mighty rushing wind. Well, okay, here he comes. And there's a tongue that's set on fire. And you're like, okay, what's happening? What is happening right now? And then that big tongue breaks up into smaller tongues, set on fire, of course. And it lands on everybody, and we miss the point. We make it about our tongues for today or our day for today. We miss the point. The first sign of the indwelling Holy Spirit is he sets our tongues on fire for the gospel. Their tongues are set on fire for the gospel of Christ. So if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our tongues are going to be set on fire for the gospel. And let me tell you, that's true in your life. It's also true in the lives of your shyest students. You know, I think back to when I was a middle school, uh, you know, intern youth leader and uh, we took a group of teenagers out to the shopping mall every Friday night to share their faith. Because I'm just convinced when students share Christ with a stranger, it's actually easier for them to share Christ with a friend. And a lot of the students came. One student refused to go. Her name was Kathy. Now, Kathy was the shyest teen to this day that I've ever met, right? And she would never give you direct eye contact. She'd always kind of stand in the corner. Her head was always down. Very, very shy. But I finally talked her into going. I said, you don't have to say anything. We'll all go together. We'll break up in twos or threes. You can come with me. I'll do all the talking. You can stand back five feet and just pray. And she finally reluctantly agreed. And so we went to the mall. There was a group of us in the church van. We broke up, went all over the mall. Teens were talking to teens. Um, some people came to Christ. Some people didn't want to talk. And it was going fine because Kathy was with me. And I'd say, my name's Greg. This is Kathy. And we're just talking to people about their spiritual beliefs. And we would just kind of dive in. Kathy would just stand in the back, keep her head down, and pray. And everything was going fine until we came to three high school girls. I said, my name's Greg. This is Kathy. I said, can we talk to you about God? And they're like, sure. And so I started getting into it. And they said, well, hey, hold on, hold on. We don't want to hear it from you. We want to hear it from her. And a chill went down my spine. And an electrical shock went down Kathy's. And I'll never forget her standing back five feet, shaking. And I know she was praying, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. She stopped shaking. She looked up. She took those five steps forward. She looked these girls in the eyes. And the best she could, she articulated the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those three girls put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ on the spot. Now, was Kathy nervous? Yes. But was she filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment? Yes. And that same Holy Spirit that fills her, fills you, 
fills me, fills our teams. If we let him, we need to find that gospel ember and then we need to fan that gospel ember. And when we do that, we're going to see God do th- great things in our lives. And finally, we fuel it. We fuel that gospel ember. 2 Timothy 1.8 So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is the invitation. What a great invitation. <laughs> Could you imagine giving this to your students? Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Who's in to get persecuted, Right? But the Bible makes it very clear that godly in Christ will suffer persecution. When you invite your teenagers to, to, to a life on mission, to live and give the gospel, to make and multiply disciples, to gospelize their schools, you're inviting them, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, there's some real suffering happening around the world. There are Christians that are losing Uh, their lives. They're losing limbs for the gospel. In the United States, we're most likely not going to get murdered or mangled, but I guarantee you we will be mocked and marginalized. So it is a persecution light, but it is persecution nonetheless. And Jesus, he's saying to us through his word, will you join in this suffering, um, this fellowship of suffering, these believers who are willing to be mocked or marginalized, murdered if need be, because we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And believe it or not, that that risk of mockery, that risk of being marginalized will actually accelerate and deepen the faith of your students. You know why? Because they're going to be more dependent on the Holy Spirit Uh, And we're going to see that gospel ember in their souls begin to burn hot for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this invitation is, will you join, will you join us in suffering for the gospel of Christ? See, when you choose to become a gospelized youth ministry, you will suffer. Richard Baxter, reformed pastor from hundreds of years ago, said Satan will seek to do the most harm to those who seek to do his kingdom the most damage. When you choose to gospelize your youth ministry, you're seeking to rescue lost souls from Satan's dominion and bring them into the kingdom of God. And Satan will target you, and others will persecute you. Sometimes that persecution comes from within the church, sadly. I think of a youth leader named John Curiali. Met him years ago, probably about a decade ago, uh, in Florida. And I was on a family vacation. Uh, We were going to Disney World. And um, we had a week. I could not afford to go to Disney World every every day, right? I couldn't afford to park at Disney World every day. So one day it'd be Disney World, and the next day would be the beach. One day Disney World, next day Gatorland, which is like redneck heaven. If you've never been to Gatorland, you just need to go because there's a lot of gators and poisonous snakes. It's a whole separate sermon. I'll get to it later. All right, it's great. Gatorland deserves a sermon, deserves a podcast. Just saying. Okay, it's awesome. So one day Disney World, and then I remembered that I had some old friends that lived in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. New Smyrna Beach, 
Florida is called the snake bite capital of the world. And I'm like, I mean, the, the shark bite capital of the world. And I'm like, oh my goodness, shark bite capital of the world. I need sermon illustrations. This is going to work out well. So I call my friends and we come over uh, all day and I don't see any sharks, but we're, we're in the water having fun as a family. They invite their youth leader over, John Curiali, and he's depressed. He's discouraged. And I'm like, man, what's going on? He goes, well, I went to Moody uh, Bible Institute. I got a youth ministry degree. I came down here, uh, called to New Smyrna Beach. Uh, and I came into this church, which is an older church. And I don't know what they think of me or my youth ministry. We only have five kids in our youth group. All of them are lost. Uh, I know I'm called here, but I don't know why. And I was like, well, what do you mean you don't know why? You're called here to make disciples. You're here to, I didn't use the word, but the idea is gospelize, right? New Smyrna Beach, that's what you feel called to do. He goes, yeah. I go, well, let's start doing it. He goes, well, I don't know what to do. And I go, well, you know, why don't you start praying? You know, start praying because that's how things happen in the heavenlies as we begin to pray. We call the divine trinity to bear on situations. So start praying for these lost kids. And, and once they come to Christ, um, train them to share Christ with their friends and then deepen their faith. And it's not brain surgery. You know, I mean, it's just Book of Acts stuff. So he did. He started doing that. He started praying every Thursday for two hours for these five teenagers. He had little index cards. He'd just pray for their needs and pray for their souls. One by one by one, they came to Christ. He trained them to share the gospel and make disciples. And New Smyrna Beach is a high drug use kind of area, one of those beach towns where just a lot of kids are on drugs. So the new believers didn't know any better. To their druggy friends, they'd say, hey, come to youth group. We have free snacks. And if there's one way to reach a druggie, free snacks. And they came, and these students would have spiritual conversations, and John would give the gospel and equip others to share the gospel. One by one by one, more and more students came to Christ. Within a year, 50 students were going to John's group. There was 100% new conversion growth. Every single one of them put their faith in Christ from his youth ministry efforts or the teenagers in that youth group reaching other teenagers with the gospel. Think about that. From five to 50 in one year and 100% new conversion growth, 100% new disciples, no transfer growth. That is shocking and amazing. And then John got fired. Matter of fact, years ago, I wrote a book called Firing Jesus. What if Jesus was a youth leader at your church? Would he make the cut? And I wrote it with John Curiali in mind. Here's a guy doing the things that Jesus did, and he gets fired. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, I'm not saying you'll be fired, but things will happen. But it's worth it. Every soul saved, every life changed. By the way, John planted a church in Orlando. And now that church is blowing up with new conversion growth. The same principles he used in that youth ministry, he's using church-wide. Matter of fact, he's training other churches to do it as well. And God wants to use you in a powerful, powerful way. But will you gospelize? Find that burning gospel ember, fan it, and fuel it, and do the same for your teenagers. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray right now for every youth leader here in this. Some of them are discouraged. I pray, God, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Remind them of their salvation story. And, Lord, unleash them to make and multiply young disciples. Lord, may they find that burning ember 
and may you fan it in a powerful way. Lord, set us ablaze with the power of the gospel. Set our youth ministries ablaze. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now I'm going to throw this uh, to Jason and Carrie, two gospel advancing leaders with actual youth ministry experience. They're going to give you tips, tools, and takeaways to put all of this into practice. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much, Greg. Uh, by the way, nice shirt. Yeah. Nice shirt. Nice shirt. Wow, I love these. Available at daretoshare.org. Click on the web store and buy. And be a part. Yes. Thank you, Greg. I'm Jason. This is Carrie. We are here to bring you the takeaways, tips, and tools from the Gospelize with Greg Steer podcast today. And I just, I love uh, the thing that jumped out to me, my biggest takeaway from today with what Greg shared was uh, near the end, just this profound thought that there is no real discipleship without evangelism. Yeah, it's so good. Like For there's sure. no real discipleship without evangelism. And it's both sides of the equation. Like you can't just Discipleship begins when somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, so the evangelism's on the front end. But a fully mature disciple is multiplying themselves and making Christ known, and so you really can't. Like, it's like an evangelism discipleship sandwich. Yes, it is. Right? Sounds yummy. I'm hungry. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That was good. And I love, you know, we've used this term gospelized for for so long now, but I never actually really even knew what it meant. And so it was cool to hear kind of that history with the old English word gospelize, sort of a souped up version of the word evangelize. And that just was so cool to hear about how it's not really just for students who don't have a relationship right, with Jesus. Right, not non-Christians. But yeah, but... it's also really for our students who do and to just help them get gospelized yeah. as well and really just kind of catch that vision of, of sharing their faith and being gospelized, if you will, yeah. totally in, in their own Yeah, sense, both you know? non-Christian and yeah. Christian teens need to get gospelized for sure. I, I'll tell you, though, as, as great as, as both of those quotes about, you know, evangelism, discipleship, gospelized, um, you know, Greg really dove into 2 Timothy 1 today and just want to remind us of, of some of those verses he, he preached out of today. First, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Like as believers in Jesus Christ, for sure, but as youth leaders, as leaders of youth, the power that is within us it, or the spirit that's within us is power and love and self-control. And Absolutely. man, how powerful that is for us as youth leaders and this idea of finding and fanning and feeling that ember and the whole why you're doing what you do. And thank God that you do what you do. Like on yes. behalf of Dare to yes. Share, thank Absolutely. you for who you yeah. are and what you do. Uh, but this passage, we, we've got to embrace it because some days it's, it's all we've got. Like we've got to be rooted to this and rooted in scripture uh, to be reminded of, of why we do what we do. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me, all those years of youth ministry, I know there's there's so many bumps and struggles along the way. And it's so great, this reminder of taking care of our own soul. You know, I mean, it's just a hectic, crazy world that you guys live in. We know that. And right. so I just want to remind you, I know I had a pastor challenge me personally to consider spending an hour a day in God's word and in prayer. And to be honest, my first thought was like, are you crazy? Where am I going to find that time? You know, and I never even considered it. I wow. never even had anybody challenged me with that or like I didn't know anybody who was doing that and so it was just like whoa 
But then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, this really is vital to everything yeah. we do. And if I want to endure, if I want to continue to really, you know, work for the kingdom causes, I'm, I'm going to be attacked. And so right. I've got to figure out how to bolster up and strengthen up. And whether you do that through, you know, just that straight time in God's word, or maybe you want to mm. use a devotional. I know I found some that just really are helpful to me. Um, this is one of them. This is a great tool, a mm. devotional, actually for you as a leader mm. to use life in six words that says right here, six words that will change your life. Yeah. And it's a great tool. Uh, might be just a great way for you to connect with God and just kind of refresh your soul a little bit, which is just so vital to continuing to thrive as easy. Absolutely. Carrie, thanks yeah. for bringing that, that such a great word and tip for us, that idea of soul care and taking care of ourselves and, and, and really, you know, again, anchored in that ember that yeah. burns within us yeah, and appreciate it because I know in different seasons in my life, I've struggled with it uh, and just finding that rhythm and, and making that time. And so you may be in a really sweet spot in life right now with that. You may be struggling, uh, whatever you got to do to just to make some steps uh, to really invest in yourself. Uh, I think related to that. And one of the things that helped me so much in the trenches as a youth leader and, and taking care of my own soul, but there were times where I just felt like I was alone, like yeah. even being in the oh, word yeah. and being with the Lord, Absolutely. I just, I would feel isolated. And sure. so just want to share with you all. And again, links are in the description below. Anytime we recommend a resource, uh, but check out national network of youth ministries. Uh, some of our great friends, uh, dare to share NNYM love working together on, on different things and, uh, great friends in the ministry. But the idea of, you don't have to go this alone. Uh, you are not alone. I remember when I was a church planner, our state convention would repeatedly tell us, we're better together. So we're better together. Yeah. You're not alone. And that's true in youth ministry. You as a youth leader, you're not alone. Uh, guaranteed, if there's more than 100 people that live in your town, there's another church with yeah. another youth ministry. Somebody's in your community to connect with. And so whether you're able to do that organically, just through relationships with other churches, but you can go to National Network of Youth Ministries website. They've got a directory of networks. If you don't find one, you can start one, register it with them so that other youth leaders can find you, but be intentional. Yes, soul care, be investing in yourself, take care of yourself and fi you know, find fan and fuel the, the ember within you. Uh, but remember, you don't have to go it alone. Uh, National Network of Youth Ministry, great friends. Yeah, it's such great advice. Hope you guys really take that to heart. Thanks so much for that, Jason. And just remember to fan into flame that gift. Thanks so much for tuning in today, man. We would sure appreciate it if you would like, comment, or subscribe. And just on behalf of Greg and the whole Dare to Share team, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs>